Hey everyone, welcome to the Kind of Funny Gamescast episode 237. Thank you for our, I'm your host Imran Khan, Surya Vasquez, Vasquez, I'm sorry, yep. uh, from Game Informer. Hello. Our former Game Informer is joining me. Yep. Also, yep. JV Gwaltney, former Game Informer, is joining me. Hi everyone. Thanks, I want to give before anything else a huge shout out to Greg Miller and Tim Geddes for allowing this to happen. Uh, if you've seen any of the shows in the last week, Greg has been very vocal about the Game Informer staff being able to have an opportunity to have, you know, let the people know that they still exist, that they're down but not out, that we're still here, and very graciously agreed to fly out two Game Informer people, uh, Surreal and JV, yeah. for what? Games Daily and Gamescast, and basically gave us the keys without much instruction about what to do. Yeah. So this is going to be a hell of an interesting Gamescast, because <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing prepared. We 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 did games daily this morning and then we went to lunch and I I don't think I've been non I've been nonstop talking since then so my throat is raw and bloody so this is going to be hilarious as we try and deal with this yeah, yeah. I, I I really do want to thank Greg for having us out here just because uh, it shows I mean to some degree how much he trusts you in that from what I understand he it was a, it was a, a lot of things <laughs> where Greg came to you and said like hey you know like who would you want to do a games cast with. And you immediately went like, yeah, my former co-workers and like this eventually happened basically like a week later, which is like, like very gracious of, of him to allow you that. Um, so I'm very happy to like to have this opportunity because I have not been, you know, on like this kind of platform in a while since, you know, the layoffs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to echo those sentiments. I can't express them better. So I'm just going to say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Same though. I, li- I will retweet. I this. like this. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up. Uh, but yeah, big props to Greg and Tim and, you know, the kind of funny supporters. Yeah, for, you know, definitely. Yeah, yeah, love it. All right, so before we go any further, a little bit of housekeeping. want to thank our Patreon producer, James Hastings, real quick. And today we're brought to you by Bespoke Post and Upstart. But Tim will tell you about that later. All right, so the notes for this just say, do what you want. And then in parentheses it says, LOL. So Greg, very unhelpful. Mm. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit. We're, obviously, we've been laid off, and usually, mm-hmm. what this show is about is we talk about what we've been playing and all that jazz. Let's talk a little bit about this. It really fucking sucks to try and play video games after your Dude, job, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a bummer. See, but- like every every like everyone says, "Well, well, you've been laid off. Well, I guess you have infinite time to play video games." Like, video games are like <laughs> the last thing on my mind yeah. most of the time. Like, video games are the things I do to distract from my full time job now, which is like trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. Right? Like that. that that's my new job. Yeah. Uh, so I like I have. I played a couple things, you know, for yeah. like for work, ironically enough, which we'll talk about later. But like most of the time, it's just been like looking at Twitter, looking at job posts, like emailing a lot of people and, and just trying to figure out what I'm doing in the next few months. Right. It's not even a time thing necessarily. It's like emotionally it is impossible or not impossible, but very difficult to connect to mm-hmm. a video. Like after it happened, I had I think I was maybe two maps from the end of Fire Emblem and that that would that's a night basically any other time but it took me about another week to finish it because like i'd start and it just there's no way i can connect to this i don't i can't get invested yeah in what's i'm happening. very concerned about the fates of these like school children and what you know whatever war is going on between them right now this yeah. is very this is very prescient for me and, and like something i can get emotionally invested in right now yeah like, and i think no not really <laughs> i think elise was playing control at the time because she had she was i I guess supposed to be on the review, but wasn't for reasons, obviously. Mm. But she she was saying it feels good to just play a game where you just hit 
things and yeah, shoot smash things. things. Yeah, there's, yeah. Also, there's also like some aspect of like there are a few games for me that are distracting enough to really for me to sink into like I've just been playing a ton of Dota 2 recently because that game takes up all of like my cognitive faculties when I play it so it's like the thing that I go back to because like I I can just lose myself in this game so heavily for you know an hour at a time and that is the that that has been my go-to thing because it is so like I don't drift off and start thinking about other stuff when I'm playing Dota so that has been like my mainstay for for most of the last few weeks yeah I've had a kind of funny like experience where Uh I get it yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Control came out like right after we were all laid off and I assumed, okay, well, I'm just going to have a bunch of time to play Control and I just couldn't get into it. Like I kept mm-hmm. getting frustrated by stuff largely. I feel like we talk about that later too, you know, half because of the game, but also because of like just the, how much of a bummer the layoffs were. Right. So eventually, you know, last month, Sniper Elite 4 was one of PlayStation Plus's offerings. <laughs> And I had just downloaded it before I got laid off. And I was like, you know what? I just want something mindless and dumb and fun. So at least like 10 hours of, you know, the days following my layoff after I got back from America because I was laid off or back to America because I was laid off during Gamescom mm-hmm. um, was dedicated to just shooting Nazi scum with, you know, and seeing like those gory slow modes because it's not like a complicated game or anything, but it just felt so good just to like play something so dumb and cathartic as just shooting things in the face. Right. You know? Meanwhile, I've been like playing a lot of techies in Dota and that's a character where you just blow people up. Like that is a character where you get you get them stuck in a stasis mine and you blow them up with remote mines and here's like three little piggies basically laughing at your opponents and that's been really satisfying to see. It's been like, so for years, like in Game Informer and years before that as a freelancer, you kind of teach yourself to not turn your brain off while playing video games because you're like analyzing it critically. You're trying to figure out what can I mine from this that would, I guess to say is, as content yeah. is a little reductive. What but can I get out of this? Yeah. It becomes like a constant refrain for everything you do. And like that, again, this kind of comes back to like we kind of tie our identities into the job a little bit. But once you don't do that, it's so hard to play a game and just go, I don't, am I playing this just for fun? Yeah. And getting your brain to say yes is so difficult. Like, uh, I, I started playing Astral Chain, like, in I don't know if you, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that once I start playing a game, I start tweeting about, like, various thoughts, and, like, there's, I'm hitting the character limit on every tweet about my various thoughts about Astral Chain. I probably shouldn't be. I probably shouldn't have my phone in my hand while I'm playing that game. I should just go in there and enjoy it. Mm. But it's so difficult once that's been your job and your life and, honestly, your mindset for so long that once you lose it, that, that mix of losing your identity and pl- of playing games combined with depression and trying to I guess <sighs> sadness is a very weird word to use with it but mm-hmm. it's a it's a logical word at this point yeah of uh, you get too sad to play some games and like you just want to try and figure out or just keep hitting everything until you figure out the one that hits that makes sense for you to play there was right. a long time ago where before I moved to San Francisco, actually, I broke up with my girlfriend, and the game I chose to play was a game that I had bounced off years before. It was Dark Souls. And I I tried the game. I didn't like it. I was like, okay, this is it's fine. I don't. It doesn't have to be a game for me. And while as I started playing it, I started realize our the death and rebirth cycle started making a lot more sense 
emotionally for me. And all, there were other factors too, like my friends were playing it as well. So I had that like mini community that for the first time was playing that game, that we were having that communal thing that Dark Souls is supposed to be about of, hey, did you go see this? Like, did you go talk to this NPC? It turns out if you go do this and like wander around this certain door, you can do this thing. So that also helped. But it made me realize how key context is. Like personal yeah. life context to how you feel about a game. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, I did not understand to what extent. Sometimes you just, I could put the best game in the world in front of you, and you may hate it because your life is going to shit. Yeah, yeah, which is a weird thing to consider when a lot of our job was to have like properly evaluate games yeah. and, and yeah. tell you what we think of them. Which is, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day. It, the lesson people need to learn about reviews is that there's no objective analysis. Right. That you try your best. It's like, it, literally, it is someone's opinion of what they're playing. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's, I mean, you, you, you can apply rigor in a lot of ways of just like saying like, well, I don't like this because I like stepped on my toe when I was playing it. That's obviously like, like, yeah, dumb. obviously that's dumb. Yeah. But like, yeah. there's a lot of more subtle ways that are harder to like identify in, when you're, when you're talking about like, I'm playing this game as like my professional job in my opinion is to, my, my job is to tell you what I think and like make a recommendation one way or the other. Um, but there, those that outside stuff does tend to creep in in a lot of ways, which is something that like you ultimately have to accept as a reviewer is that like you can't be entirely you know objective in every single instance, right? right? Yeah. As long I think it comes down to like, can I make an argument for this? Yeah. I don't like this because A, B, C, and then turning that into this is bad game design. If mm-hmm. you can make that argument. Yeah. yeah, all three of us have written reviews for GI, yeah. and Joe Juba, the review editor there, would put us through the ringer of like, oh God, can you yes. explain? Yeah. He was great. This, yeah, he he would make us explain every single aspect of why we think a thing is a thing. Yeah. So like, I, I remember I did the Hollow Knight review. And I was like, okay, I think this is an amazing Metroidvania, like nine point five or whatever. And we ended up doing a nine point two five because I couldn't properly explain to him what was revolutionary about certain things. Uh-huh. And like, it's not that I didn't think him; it's that I didn't, I couldn't properly articulate it. If I can't articulate it then do I really feel it or is it just a I really want to like this game kind yeah. of thing? It's part of why I, I like to take like I don't like writing reviews and having them published on the same day in mm-hmm. a lot of ways because I, I like the idea of writing a review like late at night one day and just coming back to it the day after and just reading it over like not even like before I even sent sent it to Joe like just having a, a gut check of like do you believe everything in this review? And there are a lot of cases where it's like yesterday I was feeling maybe a little hotter on this part because of like some of like emotional resonance or maybe where I was at like in my headspace right. and just being able to evaluate that over the course of like at least two days and being able to think, okay, do you still think this like on a, on basic gut level, do you still agree with this? And like that, that was like a, a, a thing that I slowly had to learn of like the, the hot take isn't always correct. Right. Like right. there are, there are that, that is the rigor that I, I, I'm, I'm, I say when I applied to stuff yeah. of like, yeah. I want to make sure that this is in a lot of ways, that I'm putting my myself through the ringer before anyone else, you know, even looks at it. What I liked about Joe's sort of approach, Joe's definitely the hardest. I've worked with a lot of editors, especially when I was freelancing, but mm-hmm. Joe Juba is like the hardest one I've ever worked with. Yeah. And I just want to say, like, I really appreciate that because the way that Joe works with other writers is it feels like if you've ever gone to graduate school or something like that, it feels like a thesis review. You know, where you're in front of a committee and you're answering questions about the argument that you've constructed and whether it's airtight or not. Mm -hmm. That's what I liked about working with Joe is like he would really like hold you to those questions. Like you had to defend your review. Yeah. You know, and that's great. I've never worked with another editor like that who was like, you know, they they embodied that idea, but they didn't take it to quite as like a minuscule level as like Joe does. And my first review, because like 
And my job, I was head of a department at Game Informer. So I could basically do whatever the fuck I wanted. I did, I, in Game Informer, the rule was you had to usually have like three people look at, three sets of eyes look at everything you do. Yeah. Uh, not for me, because I had to get news up quickly. So often I had typos and things or whatever, but like I could just basically write however I wanted and, you know, no one really questioned it because, you know, that was my department. I do whatever I want. Uh, not for reviews, though. The first review I gave to Joe, it came back with so many edits. I was like, holy shit, am I a terrible writer? Yeah. <laughs> no, then, I had yeah. that same reaction, 100%. Like, the, the, like even, like, reviews I did up to the day I was laid off were, were things where it's like you'd see a whole bunch of yellow text, basically, and be like, okay, uh, I got to address all these points one by one, make sure, like, do I agree with the sentiment here? Like, things like that. Rearrange, like, restructure reviews, almost, like, rewrite entire reviews at, at times. But there is a very mixed sentiment there where, like, part of you is like, oh, man, like, you, you dread it in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, but you, you like... It's like exercising a lot of ways. It's like when you think about, oh, I have to get up and do like run this morning, and it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. But every time you're done, you're like, I'm really glad that happened, you, no. even though it was like painful when I did it. It wasn't fun, but it's rewarding to come out on the other side of it and think like I'm better for that. Yeah, right. and like he was so good at holding you accountable for those things. Yeah. And mm -hmm. like even on, on the feature side, I think Kimberly Wallace and Matt Birds. Yeah, uh, yes. also another one of the editors. Birds may be off. a better writer for yeah. sure. Yeah. Like those, those, that is like. Kim and Burt's like were the two people who edited features, especially for the magazine. And they were such like a great deal where like Burt's could structurally like point out like key deficiencies. And Kim was like fantastic about writing like, OK, you technically covered this and like you have all the check marks. But like, I think this you could go another step and like, here's how to make the piece better. Yep. And I think that that combination of thoroughness and like insight w like made a ton of my pieces way better than they than they would have been had I just like, you know, just released them out in the world on my own. Yeah, no, I agree. Like they're superb editors. Yep. It's uh I'm I always think about like whenever we were at E three and things had to go out fast and we had that thing of just post it and we'll we'll look over it afterwards. That people like Jeff Cork and Jeff Marchiafava would do this amazing job of looking over everyone's stuff and going like, All right, this is this is great, or they will help you fix those one things. Like I say this often, but the duality of writing for Game Informer is you either think this is awful and it needs to be fixed and thank God there are people who know how to fix it, or this is amazing and someone is like going to make it more amazing. Yep. So I remember there was a time where I, I published something in the magazine and Elise was proofing it. I never had to proof for a magazine, so I, I honestly respect you guys that did, but Elise was proofing it and I, I thought... Okay, she's not going to find anything. It's going to be amazing. She comes back to me like, did you forget a word here? And my initial thought was, how dare you? But also, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, I, I I know we're talking a lot about Game Informer, so if you've never been like a big fan of that outlet or know a lot about it, so I apologize to people who are listening. But I we were talking, we were getting at coffee earlier, and I think we all agreed that the the years we were at Game Informer, despite how it ended, were still like they made us who we are. Mm -hmm. We are those were probably the best years of our lives. So it's in a way, this is like a, the Irish wake, right. like, yeah. you know, yeah. celebrating it. 
at, at the time, I w- there were a couple of other like ways I could have gone in terms of like I, it's either I could get the game reformer job or there are a couple other things I could have done. And I think even even knowing what I know now, I think I would still take this would have taken that job. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, it, it has been entirely worth it, even if this even if this ends up being the end result of it. Right. Yeah. For sure. It's not about how it ended. It was the, you know, exactly. the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. journey. Like, e- even if I hadn't taken the job, I'm in a much better position now, even within like the industry than I was three years ago. So yeah. like 100 percent, I would take this job again. And like I remember when I got that call and it was like Andrew Reiner telling me like, hey, yeah, we want to give you a position. I was telling them earlier that after he said we want to offer you that position and he started explaining like benefits and all that. I didn't hear anything after like we're offering you the position. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a ringing in my ear of like, OK, uh huh. Uh huh. Bonuses, whatever. Sure. Like, yeah. Just let me say yes at some point. I'll be, like, that's all I want to do it right now. And yeah, like the reason we're having this podcast is we we all love the game industry. We we want to stay in it. We want to be there, but we also want to celebrate what was good about those years. Yeah. And it's it was a fantastic job, and thank God we had the opportunity. Yeah. No, I agree totally. It's I wouldn't do anything different. Yeah, yeah, it's it was a fantastic four years. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's great. All right, there's no easy way to segue from that. Yeah. Yeah. Banjo's out in Smash Brothers today. Let's talk about that. How about that? Before we go, go on to that, let's hear a bit from Tim about our sponsors. This episode of Kind of Funny Games Cast is brought to you by Muggsy Jeans. Muggsy Jeans are the most comfortable men's jeans ever made. That is no exaggeration. Muggsy's are real jeans that literally feel as comfortable as sweatpants. And I'm telling you right now, I'm wearing these things, and I have never felt this limber. I have never felt this flexible. Whoa. Have you ever seen me do this? Holy this shit. is a Greg Miller move. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. I love them. They're so soft. Earlier today, Kevin... Did you touch my legs? Joey told me how soft they were, so I ran over and I was, Tim Tam, I hear you got some soft pants, they're great. and you let me go at it. They're so fantastic. They come in a multitude of colors, and I'm, I'm not lying here, Kev. I think I'm switching over exclusively to Muggsy. Whoa! This, this is a game changer. Like This is one of those moments I put these things on, and I'm like, why don't all jeans feel this way? They feel like sweatpants, but they look like jeans. It's insane. I feel like we've been tricked for the last like 30 years of our lives. <sighs> Muggsy are so confident that you'll love them too that they offer free U.S. shipping and returns. So our comfort is 100% guaranteed. Do your legs a favor. Grab your own pair of jeans that are sweeping the nation by heading to Muggsy.com. That's M-U-G-S-Y.com and use code KINDA for $10 off. Again, that's Muggsy.com. Use code KINDA for $10 off. I ain't kidding, man. These are the most comfortable jeans I have ever worn. And also, shout out to Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I love this already. Uh Here's the deal. Kev, how many times have we been there, down there, trying to make things look pretty, and we nick some knacks that we're not trying to nick or knack? You know what I'm talking about? And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your balls. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. They're changing the game here, man. They're making it easy. Manscaped also has the crop preserver <laughs> an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer you already put deodorant on your armpits why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body that you really want to smell good i'm just saying there's nobody in this world who wants smelly balls right kevin nope 
Ah, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KINDA at manscaped.com. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D dot com. Use the code KINDA. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KINDA at manscaped.com. And finally, thank you to Mint Mobile for sponsoring us. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers of 2019, have you asked yourself, what are you paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know that you'll pay. And you all are. You're all paying, except for my mom. Here's the deal. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage that you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. And in this situation specifically, it is directly to me because I have to pay for my mom's phone. And this is a really easy way for her to have a phone that's not expensive. I know she's getting the service. I know I can get a hold of her whenever I need to. It's fantastic. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just $15 a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. With Mint Mobile, stop paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone or with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash kinda. That's M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash K-I-N-D-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash kinda. All right, so as you so mentioned, Banjo is out in Smash Brothers. <laughs> so we, we both got a little hands-on time with Banjo last night. Yeah, I, I played around with him mostly in training mode, did, did like one of the classic arcade runs, and I, I, I'm pretty excited about him. Like, I think he plays really well. He's got a lot of interesting concepts at play. As someone who's never liked Banjo-Kazooie the character, like I, or Banjo and Kazooie as characters, mm-hmm. like this, he was surprisingly fun. Yeah. So you break him down a little bit. I, I know people wa- maybe watched the Smash thing yesterday, but if you want to summarize it a little bit. Yeah, so basically, like, uh, just to start with his, like, specials, he has, he can throw out eggs, which he can do in a couple of ways. He can either, you can either just press the button and he'll, he'll fire an egg, or you can hold the button down and he'll basically, like, fully jettison Kazooie out of his backpack and start, like, basically shooting at him con- out of him constantly, which makes the eggs weaker, but it lets you fire faster. So mm-hmm. that's, like, an interesting projectile. I don't know if it's, like, super good that way, like the, the rapid-fire one. I don't think that one's great, yeah. but you can do it, like, pretty quickly. Like, you can jump in the air, basically, like, uh, slide your hand across the X and Y buttons, and you'll, like, immediately jump and throw the eggs. I think that's, like, the best way to do it. Um, his up special is, like, a pretty standard, like, I'm going to get on the jump pads from Banjo-Kazoo, which is, like, a nice reference, and he'll fly up into the air. Uh, Have you noticed that every mascot character in Smash, our third-party mascot character in Smash Brothers has a springboard as their That's it. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Like, like Mega Man, Sonic... Well, Snake has like the he uses a, a foreign object like the kit. He but uses, not a, he's not really a mascot. Kit. Well, like, I, I'm okay. thinking like you know the kind of person you the, put on your logo. Sure, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he it's, has that. He yeah. has like a, a a weird. Speaking of Snake, he has like a, a grenade. Yeah, uh, which at first I thought like was kind of bad because it just it splits out the opposite side. Obviously, so you have to basically turn around and if you want to fire it in the direction of the opponent you're facing, you have to turn around and, and then do it. But he can also like immediately grab it and throw it. He it's not he doesn't have as much leeway as Snake does to grab mm-hmm. the grenade and then throw it, but he can't still do that, which is pretty good when you're like edge guarding. The use I found for that is jumping past an enemy. 
and then immediately hitting down B yeah. and just like dropping a grenade on them as you're jumping past yeah. them. He's not like the fastest character. Uh, yeah, he's a big but, dumb bear. Yeah. Uh, even well, he runs like, like Kazooie, <laughs> which is like a cool reference. But like the most, in- I think his most interesting special is like the Wonder Wing, which is his like side B mm-hmm. in that you only get five uses of it per stock because you lose one of the feathers that you, that you had in the game itself that you had to restore. Uh, so, and you don't have any pads. So like if you, if you like use all five of them, he basically doesn't do anything with his side B. He basically trips, but it's like super powerful. Uh, like I, I think it does like nine, like 20% damage or something. And it has like a ton of knockback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other, he is like a, his, like, I don't want to talk about like, he's like competitively viable. Cause I, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> yeah, nobody, even knows. if I was good at the game, no one at this point knows. I remember the day Joker came out, people were like, Oh, Joker sucks. Yeah. And, yet, and then he, he won, won Evo. Evo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like the, the other interesting thing about him is I, I feel like he's going to be, some like a little bit of a grappler character, which is maybe like not um, common in Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. In that his like down throw, if you get him on the ground, he basically ma- smashes them into the ground and they stay there for a little while. Um, so you can basically get free attacks on them. And the the higher percentage they are, the longer they stay in the ground. So at like a hundred percent, you basically get a free kill if you just you can just plant them in the ground and smash attack them and they'll de- and they're mm-hmm. dead. Um, so it's going to be one of those things where people are going to be wary of Banjo's throw. Like at like the better you get of like I don't want him to grab me because he's just going to go for the down throw and that's going to be like I'm dead. And it, even if you're not like he's going to he can do basically at certain percentages he can down throw you and then side beat which does a ton of damage. Yeah. So he he has like that is a really cool thing for a character to have in Smash Brothers because usually it's like. Um, it's either I have to be where this character's counter or they have a lot of recovery is kind of like the, or they're like a projectile. Like, I mean, I know Incineroar is in the game, but, and he had like some, some grappling moves, but, um, it, it feels like a weird tool for him to have in Smash Brothers because you don't hear a lot about grapplers in, mm-hmm. in Smash Brothers. I'm not sure how good he is. I like that, uh, he has three jumps, but yeah, he's been, he's been pretty fun. I like him quite a bit. Yeah. I, I got all the spirits with him and like, I don't So, I, as somebody who likes those spirit matches, mm-hmm. I was kind of annoyed that, like, the last two characters have had lesser. I, yeah. I think Joker had, like, 11. And Hero, I, I understand. I'm guessing there's some licensing issues. Yeah. Like, that made sense. But, like, Banjo should have had more than seven. Yeah. Like, it, I, I want to I do dumb, like, put a... Give me other rare things in right, there. For as many collectibles as that game had, they could yeah. have had more collectibles. Uh, speaking of collectibles, I actually really like a stage a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in that they do, I think something that's like that I, I appreciate a lot. In that it is not just like it is Spiral Mountain, uh, but it's not just like here Spiral Mountain. Like it rotates in a way that I think is really cool because I think anyone who has nostalgia for Banjo Kazooie remembers that first area a lot, but they remember it as like a 3D space to explore. Yeah. And so the fact that the game, the you're constantly rotating and get to see basically all of Spiral Mountain uh, from the top of Spiral Mountain, I think is a really cool touch, and it also affects gameplay because it's some like during certain portions of that like rotation you're either you either have access to the bridge into Grintilda's layer or not uh and but you get to see like the rest of it and like the the stage is slightly different because there's like a a a ledge or like a slope basically on one side or the other and that's like a really cool dynamic thing that doesn't feel like i mean you can i can see this getting like professional play and because it is just a flat stage Mm -hmm. um for the most part but it's like visually i think it's really cool and it's like the closest we'll get to like a full remake of banjo kazooie you know well that we know of right that was a weird thing at the end of the like in the smash brothers section like where masahiro sakurai the director of the game Says, like, if you want to play Banjo-Kazooie, get an Xbox One. Yeah. I'm surprised that they didn't announce, like, a Switch port of Banjo-Kazooie. You'd, you'd think so. Maybe Microsoft yeah. wants the fir- first bites on this. Like, but it is after a direct, the director of Smash Brothers saying, 
yeah, play the game on Xbox One. Yeah. And what? then having that trend in, on Japanese Twitter, like the word Xbox. Yeah, I they think. must have sold hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, then it's Japan and Xbox. It's not going to do great, but it's still... JV, what's your history with Banjo and Kazooie? Nothing. I don't <laughs> like Banjo Kazooie. Did you ever play I the game? Play ban- yeah, I played one of them. It was just like, I don't, I don't like platformers, and specifically, I don't like 3D platformers. Uh-huh. I just, that's the one genre, whenever anyone asks me at Game Informer, like, what can we have you review or write features about? That's the one thing where I'm just like, don't give me that. Yeah, I don't want to touch that filth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm above it. Also, like I will say, like Magic Zoo is not, like not aged like super well. Like, None it, of those have. It is definitely like indicative of how that genre was just so used to like let's have a bunch of collectibles. And, I mean, like and Super Mario you- 64 hasn't aged well. Like I think it's, it's aged okay. Yeah, but it's like it's aged but like right. it's like the like you know the pinnacle of that time for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Like when that's like the peak. Yeah, I yeah. Aged well is a weird thing to talk about with video games because technologically nothing ages well, yeah. and mechanically everything's usually improved upon. I feel like except Super Metroid, which is perfect. That, so that's the thing. <laughs> Once we go back to like it's it's this different era thing of like oh there's NES games and usually SNES games are yeah. better, and then that's it. There's then definitely like. like when we went to 3D, there was definitely a lot of experimentation and figuring things out. Yeah. Uh, because, like, 2D, like, the Super Nintendo era was definitely, like, we've refined the concepts that we've learned across the last 20 years of video games, and here's, like, the best possible iteration of 2D, and then we basically threw away so much of that progress in the move to 3D that we're basically now at a point where it's, like, this is the best iteration of 3D, and right. then even now, where it's, like, we're starting over with VR in a lot of ways where it's like we're still figuring out this space. Yeah. I wonder at what point like it's all going to meld together so much for people that like the timeline between because like there's more time between now and Mario 64 or Mario 64 and Mario Odyssey than there was between Mario 1 and Mario 64. Yeah. So like I can see people like I don't know not really necessarily like they see it as a larger delineation but I don't know. I don't I don't know that any game is going to ever have that or any series will ever have that Mario 64 moment again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As like as somebody that's been playing Final Fantasy 8 recently, I've been kind of play like the remastered version came out. So I've been kind of toying around with it and just got me thinking about like this game was very unfairly maligned because it was that thing of if you're somebody making Final Fantasy, when you're 8 games in, you're like, wow, we've done the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But the series got big with seven. So one of the reasons eight is so maligned is because it's so different and weird than seven, which is like if you, you make this big game that's a big breakout hit and then all of a sudden you're immediately deconstructing yeah, it. You divorce so much from like that. You you diverge so much from something like seven. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's like you ever see the Clark's animated series? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know how the second episode is a clip show? Yes. It's that kind of thing of like doing a deconstruction and like it didn't make sense to people. But like you look at it now, and it's like, okay, well, this actually set the standard for a lot of different things. And it's weird how openly flaunting it is of the way the way it's different. Yeah. So I I am now I'm I'm very glad that remaster exists because it makes me appreciate that in a new light. For sure. And that's yeah. it wasn't a thing I planned to talk about, but it is one of those <laughs> JV, we, we talked earlier this morning about uh, Smathers' characters he wanted in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know you're not a big player of the... No, I've played series. a fair amount of the new Smash Brothers. Uh, no, I've played a fair amount of all the Smash Brothers games, mm-hmm. actually. Um, like, are we talking, like, this could actually happen, or just far-flung, ridiculous... Like, I feel like there's not a difference between the two now. That's true. Well, for a long time, there were rumors of the Doom Marine. Yeah. And I really wanted that. 
and I understand why like that's not a character, but I feel like as far as like Smash Brother characters go that I would want in the game, he's up there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's Gordon Freeman, sure, with a crowbar, <laughs> like just like, you know, Ness's bat, just have like the crowbar be a version of that swing. Right. That's what I want. I think that's it. Like, I like just the a, idea of Morgan Freeman winding up baseball style yeah. with like his whole full body, like, uh, he, but also not the, saying a word. Yeah. The gravity gun, you know, you could like pick someone up as a special and just that's shoot his, them off stage. That's his throw like Mewtwo where he like disorients you and then yep. fires you off. Like a general Valve character would actually be really, really cool. Like someone who like their side special is like a portal gun or something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. shell. Yeah. yeah. Or a Dota 2 character. <laughs> Monkey King. Which Dota 2 character would you put in? Probably Monkey King. He's yeah. got like a cool staff. He has a thing. His final smash has in summoning like a giant circle of. Is this of, an end run around to get Goku in? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. He's got, people he's really got want big, Goku in Smash. He's got, he's got a big attack where he like launches a giant pole into the ground and it stuns you. Okay. It just seems like I'm a saying. monkey's paw thing of like if you get Goku in Smash, it's Goku GT. Monkey's paw. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he makes fun of me because I'm the pun guy, mm-hmm. and then sometimes he'll make one inadvertently and I like to point them out. <laughs> All right, so JV, uh-huh. you you for the last month before the Game Informer thing, you were what thing? What are you talking about? Before the the unpleasantness, <laughs> uh, is that the troubles. Now? <laughs> uh, I think we've all signed non-disparagement agreements. So yes, yes. All right. uh, you were lost in the icy woods. Uh, yeah, we could not find you. Because yeah. you were very busy playing Monster Hunter Iceborne. Yeah, I was helping Kim Wallace was doing the review, mm-hmm. and I was uh, her co-op partner because trying to solo that game, trying to solo the original Monster Hunter world is an exercise in futility. Yeah. Uh, Iceborne, you know, a lot of people when Monster Hunter World came out were disappointed with the accessibility of the game. You know, it's not harder like older Monster Hunters, or it's not as ridiculously hard as some of the older Monster Hunters were. Right. If you're one of those people... Oh man, Iceborne is for you. You're going to get your ass handed to you so much. It is just brutal. You, you've played it. You yeah. played it at preview events. I played it, I think, like the first three to four hours. Yeah. Yeah, it is brutal, even out of the gate, because, you know, you go back to it and you expect, like, oh, it's been a year since I played Monster Hunter World. I'm sure the expansion pack will sort of, like, you know, ease you in, have like a tutorial or a reminder or something. Iceborne, that's not the case. You fight your first monster, and he beats the ever-living crap yeah. out of you, especially, like, even if you haven't acclimated yourself to the controls, because I did two hunts before, like, some of the harder hunts in the game before I went back and played Iceborne just to get adjusted to the controls again, and I still got torn to pieces by the first guy, by the first one. The- the, yeah, there was a thing of, like, so I went to Capcom to play it, like, at this point, about two months ago, and... About a, a couple of months before that, there was a Devil May Cry 5 event before that game came out. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay at Devil May Cry. So I ended up, it was, that event was the first nine missions or whatever, and they gave us two to three hours to do it. Uh, I ended up beating it in about an hour and then going back and like refilming some stuff because I lost some footage and all that. So the same PR people from Capcom were doing the Monster Hunter things. They're like, oh, you did so well at Devil May Cry. We, we have a high expectations of you in this one. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at Monster Hunter 2. This should be fine. That first monster, I was struggling so much against it. I was carting. It took me forever. It, like, they were all finished with the mission while I was, like, still trying to do it. I was like, this is for real. This is end game Monster Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, this, this is not a gentle game by any means. There are some new mechanics to learn, like the grappling. You basically get the grappling hook from... Uh, you know, uh, Attack on Titan, you know, where you can, like, grapple yeah, the monsters, monsters and just, yeah. like, stab them in the face while you're doing it, and that's super satisfying, and it's necessary for, like, 
flying monsters, especially if you're not a gunner class. Like, if you're like me, like the dual blade class, you're going to have to use that for several of the dragons that you fight. But it's just unbelievable how hard some of those fights are because, like, in Monster Hunter World, whenever you fought a monster that was dealt a lot of damage, they usually, they, they were kind of a glass cannon, like, compared to the other monsters. You could take them down pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, that's not the case here. Like, the monsters you assume are glass cannons because they hit hard and are fast, they're still tanky. Like, they take forever. There were several monsters that, me and Kim, like, the there's usually an hour-long, like, time limit. And mm-hmm. Monster Hunter World, you know, outside of like special quests, like yeah. for every story beat, there were at least four of them. Not even like towards the end where like we were on 58 minutes before we took the monster down after multiple attempts. I remember you telling me that there was a monster you guys were struggling with. So you're like, okay, well, this is hard. So let's ask Capcom. Yeah, we asked Capcom for and- how to send us like someone to help us with. And they told us, oh, we're not as far as you guys are. Like American <laughs> Capcom. Like yeah. Capcom's a, you know, America, you know, in San Francisco and stuff. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. I felt worse for Kim because she has had to write the review and stuff. But it Which, was definitely a yeah. moment of, you know, it was, it was kind of like a rep, uh, an ego pleaser too of like, hey, <laughs> yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty awesome. But also we are so screwed. Yeah. yeah. Kim, like we're just screwed. It is so weird like now because I think a lot of games use the like the expansion pack or, you know, their second round of like DLC to say like, okay, now jump into this thing. You know, you, you think about Destiny in the way it's like Shadowkeep is like saying, no, you can just basically start at Shadowkeep if you want. You know, Final Fantasy 14, let's do it, hop right into Shadowbringers. But this is just like, no, this is like if, you know, that that Punch-Out! Wii game had just added a bunch of DLC where it's like, here's the first DLC, Donkey Kong. It's like one of the hardest <laughs> fights in the game and you're going to get your ass kicked immediately. Like, it, it, And you can't really jump to Iceborne. You have to get through Yeah, there's no like Monster XP catch-up. Yeah, so or it's like, like, it makes yeah. it harder to catch-up in a lot of ways because there's now additional content that you have to work through to get through. Like, yeah, there's to, like, like, the there's like at least like 60 hours you have to play before you can even play Iceborne. Yeah. At the most generous, assuming like, oh, I'm just barreling through this with like no game overs or whatever. You've got about 60 hours ahead of you before you can even touch Iceborne. Which is an interesting decision, like, because Monster Hunter World was such a big success that I kind of, like, I guess they're just assuming that all those people who love Monster Hunter World will also buy Iceborne and they all finish the game. Like, I don't, I, I'm very interested to see the sales on it. Because mm-hmm. it is, they're really putting this as their big game this year. Mm-hmm. I think this is like their only thing until the next financial year, really. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they're they're releasing this expansion that is geared only towards hardcore Monster Hunter fans. And it's been, I want to say it's been like at least eight months since I've really pl- hardcore played Monster Hunter World. I'm scared to jump into this when I when it time comes. Yeah. Like even having played that preview event just based on how hard it is. Yeah, and it's like as someone who like I reviewed the PC version of the game and like mostly for like performance differences and things like that but it's definitely one of those things where it's like well i i'm kind of dreading the process of like if i jump into the ps4 version of having to switch so it's like in a lot of ways this is the least accessible monster hunter is going to be until they release a sequel yeah which you know they're going to do because it's like that's like their biggest game now yeah um so in a lot of ways it's like hey if i want to get into ice in the monster hunter world it's like my right like i don't like this is a really good expansion pack from everything i've heard it's just a matter of like if you're if you're getting started now, like this isn't like the best time, which is hard to say for a lot of other games where it's like usually like, yeah, the best time to get started is like whenever you want to get started. Right. If you're looking for a lot of monster hunter, you have a lot of monster hunter to start with here. It's just, 
If you're not looking for a lot of Monster Hunter, you can't just leap into Iceborne. Yeah, yeah no, that's no. You gotta you gotta eat the whole hog. I guess is that how the expression goes? We're, you're it, from it the south now, too, right? I, I mean, that sounds correct. Yeah, <laughs> I've lived here for quite a while at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. sure. California is a weird space, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's it's. I'm. I do want to play it. It's just one of those things where like that. This this expansion pack just made going back to the game even more intimidating than it already was. It's it's weird they're not releasing it on PC immediately. Yeah, I I just have to assume it's not done. Yeah, but like I would make sure that thing is done on everything or at least like this would be the time to bring it all to parity. Yeah, but also cross save would help a lot. I went back Whatever. and tried to do that Witcher quest recently. Oh, the it's, yeah for Monster Hunter. It's yeah. hard, even with Geralt there. Like you have to play as Geralt. Oh, you have to play as him. Yeah. Huh. So like the the monster is a lesson from the Witcher. Oh no! So they like suck. It like I I'd gotten so close and like at the very last second when he was like the the game was telling me he's about dead. He's it's nearly done and he he teleported behind me and swiped me and I was done. That's the that's mm. the tree monster, right? Yeah, those guys suck. They do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very cool like DLC package for like especially because it was free. But man, that was. I, it made me especially worried about going to Iceborne. Like, do I suck at this game now? Mm-hmm. Which kind of... Yeah, how, I, I, you probably will. Yeah. Iceborne will let you know just how much you suck at <laughs> yeah. Monster Hunter. I hope, like, maybe I'll SOS the first couple of hunts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long is it? Uh, oh, man. I put... With Kim, understand, we were, we were like four fights away from the ending before I had to go to Gamescom and mm-hmm. things happened. Um... But I want to say we put fifty hours in. Okay. Yeah. That is not an insert like a small amount. That is no, no. This is this is just as big. It feels like as Monster Hunter World. Like they're calling it an expansion, but it feels like just as meaty mm-hmm. in terms of like how many fights you do and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is one more thing to throw onto the pile. Yes. Yeah. An increasingly busy fall for yeah. sure. So uh, you were telling me at one point that the day the unpleasantness happened. Uh huh. The, the thing, troubles. Yeah, the troubles. The thing on your mind was whether or not you liked Catherine full body. Yeah, that was a that was a weird thing to like have to stop <laughs> thinking about for a little while. But yeah, Catherine Catherine's a weird game. Uh it still is in a lot of ways. And I feel like the the biggest takeaway I have from having basically finished it at this point is how my opinion on everything about it is basically inverted. Mm-hmm. Where when I first played it, I didn't like the block puzzle stuff, but I thought the relationship stuff was like super interesting, especially at the time. Cause it's like, oh, not a lot of games do like are this low key in a lot of ways. Where it's like this game is about relate your relationships with like one of two women. Um and now, like, coming away from full body, I definitely feel like, oh, this block puzzle stuff is actually kind of cool. But, like, I think the, a lot of the concepts at play with the relationship stuff, I think, have aged pretty poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, w- what I mean by that is that, like, I think on a basic level, I don't think this game handles decision making super well, like, just mechanically. So, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, Catherine is basically, like, a game from the Persona team that they were making basically between Persona 4 and Persona 5. Yeah, it was like learning how to make the use the engine. Right, basically. and that was a lot of the appeal of the game, honestly. It's like seeing like, oh, Persona could look like this, yeah. right? Like in the PS3 era, which they basically managed to skip entirely until right up until the very <laughs> end um, when they released Persona 5 on PS3 and PS4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Winter so, 2014. Right. Still waiting. And like they use this like uh, block puzzle thing as like the the buffer between all these like cutscenes basically. 
Uh, so the thing, like, you're basically, the premise is that you have, like, a long-term girlfriend named Catherine with a K, uh, and you basically begin getting tempted and eventually cheat on Catherine with a K with Catherine with a C. I'm just going to start calling them K and C. Yeah. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So C basically is, like, this this presence that you consistently cheat on every day. You're not really sure why. Uh, and the idea <laughs> is that you're trying, there's it this It makes more, more sense in game. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's Persona-esque stuff going on that you eventually learn very quickly. Um where you're trying to choose like, hey, do I like which do I like K or C better? Mm-hmm. Right. But like it just I, I don't feel like it is a very rudimentary version of a like of a morale system because the game is very like very heavily pushing you towards K Catherine as like the universal good. The correct choice. Yeah, as the correct choice. It's like, like law versus chaos. Right. And yeah. it's like they make no effort to make Catherine like an interesting character beyond the fact that she's like very pretty and is like, That's like right. And it's like <laughs> There's no rule. There was no real temptation on my end to like even think about Catherine as a potential like option because for one, it's like they make such a like a they they reinforce the idea. It's like oh man, I'm I've just I'm just struggling with this choice of like these two characters. But it's like they they very heavily imply that it's like Vincent does not remember ever like having a, a like a conversation or ever sleeping with Catherine. Yeah. Or with there's C. not like a seductive consent. Yeah, like right? it's like see like, Catherine is just happening to him. Yeah, and he's like oh I'm so broken up about it. But like you don't remember most of your time with it. Yeah. So like he blacks out drunk and wakes up next to. Right, which like for for again for reasons outside of his control, like yes. it's not like a thing where it's like, I just happened to get drunk and I ended up with it. It's like it's he doesn't have like uh, he does not make that choice of his own free will. So right. there's never like this like am I actually a bad person? It's like no, you you are very clear. Something is clearly happening to you, and I don't I don't want to spoil it, but like it tries to be a very Lynchian thing, right? Yeah, it but it's, it's like quite not get there, yeah. and like you're making choices about like they'll send you texts and you'll reply back with like answers that affect yeah. your like be like stop calling me or like love right. you right so it's like and that affects your meter of like hey, if you're being like uh if you're mean to Catherine you'll get like closer to to see Catherine or to K to see this yeah. whole conversation is going to be confusing I apologize <laughs> just like the game but we like, still have another letter to, the, to they don't yeah they don't do like they don't really go to the effort of making those characters react to your choices so like Catherine I see Catherine I was immediately like I'm gonna blow her off completely mm-hmm. and say so it's like hey uh, yeah I got you like um, hey I hope I got your number correct like this is this is C Catherine uh, like and like you can text her like stop calling me like this is like don't talk to me and you can make those choices and she'll immediately reply with like oh great you have my number that's so <laughs> amazing like emoji and like oh I hope we can like basically sleep together again and I love you and like they they don't make an effort to have you re- like have those characters react. So all those all those choices feel hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other choices you make where as you're climbing the block, as you're working your way through all the block puzzles, where they have you make moral choices about like, hey, do you like someone because of their looks or their personality? And you're never like tempted to actually be honest because what you'll what will happen is you'll end up in the middle and you don't get to see either of the true paths. And they highlight the fact that like, hey, if you want to actually have any, if you want to make it, if you actually want like a good ending, you have to go one way or the other. So all your are all your choices aren't made by like, what do I think about this like potentially tricky moral issue with relationships? It's like, which one is the C Catherine choice? Which one is the K Catherine choice? I'm just gonna pick the one that reinforces that choice. So this kind of sounds like the I read I play Catherine, so I'm kind of like leaping off ideas I've had of it before. Sure. But it it's the same problem that a lot of Western games and relationships have. And yeah. like it's a more reduced version of that of I have this person who I want to relationship bang, whatever. Right. And like I'm relationship just going, bang. Relationship comma Slash, bang. Yeah, basically. Because yeah. that's what all relationships are. I'm sure are, you right? meant hyphen. 
Yeah, relationship. Yeah. Relationship. Bang. Do you really like someone if you don't want to bang them? Like that's honestly what most what, they're, they're, what yeah. most video game relationships are. Yes. Mass Effect, baby. Yeah. So but like, Mass Effect is also an example of this. Of I I have this person who I am working toward. So right. I'm going to answer questions in the direction of them. Right. Of what they want to hear, which it doesn't at that point. It it feels. I don't want to say gross. Because it's it, a, it, it, it it's is a, occasionally gross. But it, like, it makes them a quest item, right? Yeah, and it, it is especially egregious here because, like, you in, in something like Mass Effect or like Dragon Age, uh, you can kind of forgive this these flaws because it's part of a much grander game, right? Right. And so this game, the pitch is like we are more sensibly focusing on that. We're like kind of narrowing down your the potential possibility space of this game because we are focusing purely on relationships and. Like the fact that the game, like the the choices that you're making, feel just as arbitrary, kind of feels like a huge fault. But like there are ports in this game where like they do have more in depth conversations about relationships and what that stuff means. But that stuff feels like entirely divorced from the fact that you're making all these choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is like in full body they introduced a new uh, a new character named Q. Catherine with a Q. Yeah. I'm just gonna call her Rin because that's what they always what, with, refer with to the, her with the Q. Yeah, they ran out of options. Like yeah, so so Catherine uh, or Q. Or Rin, I'm just going to call her Rin. Again, this conversation is going to be very confusing, and I apologize. So Rin is basically introduced as a wrench in the in the entire morality system, right? Um, And she's basically divorced from that morality meter, in that they very they make it very clear when you're answering a question about Rin. Uh, and all of those are about like accepting someone for who they are. Like, uh, is it something where would you be able to date someone who's different? And they they make these uh, like allusions to who she is. And uh, I'm not going to spoil things, but it's like I know you're not going to spoil it, but I feel like there's a thing that we need to touch on there. Sure. There was a controversy when that game came out in Japan. Yeah. That the I guess assumption, but I that Rin is trans. Yeah, so here's here's where I, things get especially tricky. Mm-hmm. Is that I want to I, I want to point out that I I am a cis Latino male, mm-hmm. uh, so I I don't feel like I have like the ultimate authoritative take on this subject matter. But I do feel like a lot of the way this game handles uh, gender, I think, is very in line with how Persona has handled gender in the past. Which not great. Yeah, no. like <laughs> it, like in every Persona game that has been like a problem with trans characters specifically. Uh, and this game really like sidesteps that uh, in some ways that I I that do not sit well with me in like a much grander scale. So like the thing is, I don't know necessarily if Kat, if Rin is trans because they like it's it's very hard to talk about without spoiling things. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the ways they address the question of Rin's gender kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Okay. And again. Uh, I am not trans, so I do, like I don't want to say like this is objectively bad. Yeah, you don't want to speak for anybody, right? Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot of stuff with like my experience, like leads me to believe like this is they, they really did not want to really prop her up as as, as being trans. And it's, I know they kind of they they've said outright they fix a lot of it in localization. Yeah, they, they, it definitely feels like it's a little bit. They definitely do try to address it. But it, the the plot events do not change like okay. in a lot of ways, and they they sidestep it a little bit in a way that I don't like, and they, and then they sidestep it in a, again in a way that I think is really stupid. Um, not 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 like a stupid is like you guys have fucked up, and, and just the way that it was really eye rolling, and it just felt like it felt like ah 
like this weird like joke thing mm-hmm. in this in the way that I'm just kind of like when I beat that game I was just like ugh, ugh what a, <laughs> Jesus Christ. in a weird Jesus. way I had no interest in playing Catherine before your just like breakdown of this I want to see this I yeah. want to like yeah. I really that might just be like the game critic in me it's like I want to see There's, like uh, yeah, what so, is so disastrous about some of this so going into the office on the day that I was laid off <laughs> this was the question that was on my mind it's like like do uh, on one hand like I have to evaluate this game like I, right. it is my job to, to write a, my takes about video games on the other hand I was trying very like okay am I where my take is on this is very you know kind of one way or the other like how how do I like what, what is the right way to approach like sort of my uneasiness with this topic a without spoiling things and b like by properly addressing like where my issues come from with the story um, and so that was the thing that I was struggling with and I'm still not sure where I land on it but I know that like the Rin path specifically kind of left me with a bad taste. And I think that is that is a thing that I like I don't want to like uh downplay, but I also want to make sure that like that I again that I'm not coming off as like speaking for anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but overall it does feel like it is in like if you've played uh other games from the studio, it does feel like it is trending along the lines of cause it, it like and it's very weird in, in this game because this game already had a trans character. Yeah. Like, in Erica, which they don't handle well. Yeah, there's a specific thing with Erica specifically uh, that they also do not handle super well, um, and that like it just it, it, it like it bums me out because this game had, in a lot of ways, it plays it more low key in a lot of ways because it does feel like it it is marinating in like topics that a lot of games don't cover but i just don't feel like they 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 feel very confident about like yeah we're gonna talk about gender we're gonna get risky um and like it's just them saying like yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about these nuanced topics and really break it down and like they just fumble like all those narrative beats like in ways that like just had me rolling my eyes at it a lot i kind of wonder if it's like catherine is laser targeted at a certain demographic that we are just aged out of a little bit maybe because like i remember 10 years ago when that game or however long it came out I was like a unemployed 20-something that had had pregnancy scares in the past, and that game really spoke to me. It resonated with me, like speaking of the context of video games at the time. And if I played it now, it's a different part of my life. I'm not sure that I would find it nearly as appealing, if at all. Right, yeah, no. And the other thing about the Rin route is that, like, the Rin route, like, basically removes any question, like, it basically makes it about something completely different. Like, it, it, in a weird way that it's like, it is, it feels like it is sidestepping the rest of the plot for you to play. It feels like a separate game. It feels like like a a what-if scenario in a lot of ways. Right. Um, And, like, I contrast that with, like, the block pushing is actually kind of fun now. Because like they, they I mean, they made a speed running game out of it, right? Or it's like become like a cult it's a competitive thing. Like, yeah, it's played at Evo. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, and they've made some like very good changes to the way you actually play that game because you have like you have redos where it's like, oh, I, I I fucked up that block push. You can just like rewind. You have like certain limit. And there's a limit on it, but like you can say like, oh, I can just rerun it and like try to do it again. There are, there are more interesting block patterns in that there are blocks that are basically let's say multiple spaces where it's like here's an L block basically that you're pushing out versus one block that might have spikes coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So it complicates that in a in really fun way. Um, and you can basically, any puzzles you've beaten, you can skip. And there's also a difficulty, like if you just play it on the easiest difficulty, you can just outright skip every puzzle in the game. Mm-hmm. So even if the puzzle leak wasn't good, you could ostracize it from the game completely and just say like, I just want the story stuff, which is cool. Like it's actually like a really good way to address it. Like if you don't like the puzzle stuff, uh, we, you can ignore it completely. If you do like the puzzle stuff, we've made it better. And like they have, you know, the, the tower of Babel stuff again. And that, that, that stuff is actually still really good. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the improvements they've made to the block pushing, I think turns it from like, eh, to like, I actually like this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not in love with it, but I like it. 
and I can see why people would like play competitively. Right. Um, so like, there's that where it's like, ah, as a as a mechanical thing, you engage with and you have controller, uh, you have control in your hands and you play it. That stuff is actually fun. But like the fact because this game focuses so much on like we're gonna we're gonna talk about relationships, we're gonna talk about topics that aren't necessarily like that most games don't touch on. But the fact that they fumble it, I, like it kind of left me kind of like. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I'm not super into this game, so, which is a bummer. But thinking back to the day when you were trying to decide, do you like Catherine full body or not? Yeah. Is I it, don't, does that have an answer? I, I think I'm leaning towards no, like mm. more so than yes, because like there are, there are parts of it where I do appreciate like how like they it, a lot of the game is just like four guys sitting at a bar just talking about you know their love lives and yeah. like where they Taylor are in life podcast that part nah. that, when when they focus on that part of it i think i actually think it's like legitimately great dialogue and the localization is like pretty strong but it's like whenever you ve- basically there's like a table at the stray sheep bar that you're in and like whenever you're venturing outside of that table i think the game like falls off in like a really frustrating way that they could have done so like they could have done better like a, a sequel to this that kind of learned a lot of things you know like from life experience i guess uh could be pretty good and like the structure i think is actually really strong it's just like they fumble a lot of like the key points along the way right that's a bummer yeah yeah i not surprised but you know it would have been nice to be surprised yeah yeah Yeah. we'll see what because persona 6 or whatever the next persona game is going to be we'll come out when we're 50 well yeah but it's also not going to have the same team behind it so it should be an interesting thing to see if yeah. it perpetuates the same problems or not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. I platinum Sekiro recently. Ooh. I'm going to step away for just a sec. Yeah. <laughs> but I did that, and platinum that game is not fun. Yeah, I, I very like very recently started deciding that like platinum games isn't to me worth it a lot of the times. Yeah. Like I, the only game, the, the last game I think I platinumed was Mortal Kombat 11, and that's a combination of a it's really just a time investment and it's stupid easy uh and b i really really like that game and the platinum platinum that game is actually pretty fun but a lot of the times it's like having to do very hyper specific things like in in i i thought about platinuming bloodstained and that is a lot of like checking things off the list in a very boring way um but Sekiro is definitely a game that i thought about it Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's worth it so there's two problems with platinuming games like this one is the grind Mm -hmm. of you need so many skill points. You need to just run the same thing over and over. And I listen to like five episodes of the podcast while doing mm-hmm. it. And it sucks. It makes my hand hurt. The other problem is as the game for hard games like Sekiro, as you start plat- or getting close to platinuming it, it means you've mastered its mechanics. You know by the, by the time you beat that final boss that Sekiro has given you all the hard things that you can get. Mm-hmm. So how is the game going to still keep you uh, challenged? And the answer is it sometimes cheats. And that sucks. Oh, yeah. Mm. There, are t- there are times where, like, no, I got that window correct. I don't understand. Or, no, there's no way anyone could have possibly seen that coming. And you're just like, okay, well, I, I understand what they're going for. And I understand from the main game, this design should have been fine. It's if, As you're trying to, com- like, fully complete the game, it starts trying to challenge you on ways that, you, that are past the mechanics. And I don't like that. Can you can you give like a specific example without spoiling something? The so uh, you have to like redo bosses in various paths to do, do all this stuff. Oh, yeah. There is a one of the final bosses has an attack in one of the paths that he will hit the ground and fire will raise up at random spots. Hmm. Uh, if you are in a certain like you could just be in the wrong place and there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah. 
and like I think I know. I am pretty sure I know which boss you're talking yeah. about. It's like towards the end, right? Yeah, t- okay. during the, in the Shura path. Sure. So he will like he'll just raise the fire up, and it's like okay, well. I guess I was in the wrong spot, so I will take the hit on this yeah. one. And, and that's that that specific spot is one of those things where it's like that boss specifically is a is a boss that's like that is trying to get you to play differently than you have been the rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, and so it feels like, well, I'm just trying to learn this entirely different thing that I don't think is as interesting as the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels like that's what you do, right? Because a lot of it feels like that game is about pattern recognition like memorization right yeah. of, of just like seeing okay this guy is going to do this this and this and then that's how i have to time my parries but yeah when it starts introducing challenges like that it d- d- definitely feels like okay we are de- playing by a different set of rules sekiro is like one of the strangest like video game experiences i've ever had period because mm-hmm. like i reached i want to say like the very last bit of one of the paths uh and got to a boss fight and spent like three days on it and just wasn't having fun. Mm-hmm. And usually like, I think working at Game Informer and playing Sekiro, like the fusion of those two things cured my uh, habit of needing to beat everything. Right. Right. Like I just reached the point. I'm like, I, I'm done having fun with this game. I'm done playing this game. Like I like it a lot, but I don't need to like complete it to like mm-hmm. to have enjoyed it so much. You know, it's really weird. Yeah, it's, because- a, it's a thing that only happens with games because it's like you never hear about like, oh man, I love like you know 2001. Oh, I only watched like the first yeah, watched like the first three fourths of it. Yeah, yeah, but like Sekiro's got some amazing highs. Like a certain fight with the gorilla, yeah. is incredible. Yeah, you know, that's one of my top moments of the year. Like Sekiro as a game is one of my top games of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's my it's my game of the year so far. So yeah, for sure. it's just one of those things of as you once you master the mechanics, how is the game going to keep challenging you? And sometimes it's in not great ways. Yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't find effective solutions for that question. I think, I think the last boss in that game, I think, is actually like one of the best showcases for like, here is a way we are going to test every skill at your disposal. But like, yeah. there are bosses leading up to that and encounters leading up to that that feel like, well, we can't have that be the the entire rest of the game where we test you on every front. So we're going to introduce a couple like wrenches in the way that kind of muck with your ability to actually learn the basic to right. like continue learning the basics. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's definitely a thing where it's like, I, I like my, my goal with Sekiro was to just beat it. And then I, I wanted to beat all the bosses. Like that feels like that is, that is how you should approach those games is like, can you climb the mountaintop? Not like, can you make sure you ran back and like found every path on the, on the way to the mountaintop? Yeah. That doesn't sound as interesting for me. Yeah. The yeah. grinding part is, uh, I would recommend nobody platinum that game because that grinding part sucks. Yeah. Did you platinum it? Yeah. Yeah, so like, and also like a lot, a lot of the times because of that grind, it's like the Sekiro's combat is so based on like this very tense, like okay, this is he's gonna do this thing, this thing that kind of like takes up all your of your like being in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and having to grind in that way just kind of either it'll either wear you down and you're not gonna want to do it anymore, or it turns this like intense thing into something way more like banal, right. and that kind of ruins a lot of the game in a lot of ways. And this is like from, coming from someone who beat that game with the demon bell on, like once I found that. I I had it on, which makes the game harder, uh, and I ended up beating the entire game that way because that was that was like the appropriate level of challenge for me. But it was one of those things. It's like, oh yeah, now do it again. Now do right. it again. Now do it again. Like that's not a thing. Like that's just like keep running after you've already ran ten miles. Like it, this is just painful at this point. This is like more about endurance than like you know like a, a sprint. Right. I need to step away for two seconds. Talk to JV about Creature in the Well. Okay. Creature in the Well. So Creature in the Well, uh, embargo for this lifted up this morning. Uh, It is a, if you're not aware, it is a very colorful and very great looking uh, pinball dungeon crawler, which is a weird thing. 
Those are a bunch of words I've never heard. So okay, so so the basis together. is you are a a robot engineer called a bot C, and you are um, there is a thing called the, the creature in the well that ha- that is in some in preventing you from activating this weather machine that will prov- uh, cure a sandstorm that is affecting this village and basically making it impossible to venture outside of that town. So the way you do this is you venture inside a mountain that has several components that you need to repair. And mm. these are all basically like, think of them as like small Zelda style dungeons where it's like you go into that section, you see a map and you're kind of exploring that map until you get to the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you do that is instead of like attacking enemies or, you know, like basically killing things, you're basically messing with like pinball layouts. And so the way you do that is you have two let's basically like a sword and a bat basically let's say and one of them allows you to attract these energy orbs into your orbit and then fire them off and that's what the other bat is for so you you basically have one that's kind of keeping them in place and then you bat them away with the other okay and that is like that central mechanic like with a lot of indie games it feels like it is a game that is betting the farm on this one mechanic and i think it is a mechanic worth betting the farm on because it feels super fun because it's never you never feel like you figured out how to do that precisely every time. So like there's you use the analog stick to aim where you're going to hit it, but the 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 trajectory is always like kind of you're never quite sure that you've nailed the shot completely. So and because you're working with pinballs where you're kind of working like okay, not just can I hit this angle, but is the angle that I hit it at appropriate to bounce off a couple more things and sort of get the thing that I want to do. Which is pinball, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels more like breakout in that sense, in that you're not you're not playing as flippers that just do the one thing. You're moving around the space. You're kind of dodging things because there are things, there are obstacles like lasers and bombs um, that will get in your way, but no real like enemies that are that you're trying to kill. Uh, and that I think is really like it's a really solid mechanic to base around. Um, so I wrote a review of, of this freelance for fanbyte.com, and you can find my review, my full review at fanbyte.com. Um, so the thing that where it falls apart for me a little bit ended up giving it a seven for context uh, is because like the as strong as the central mechanic is, I don't think they fully exploit it to the best of your ability. So in a lot of ways, by the time you've seen the fourth area, you've kind of seen most of what the game has to offer. There are some really interesting ways and like later on where they synthesize all of the elements of like, here's danger. Here's like there'll be uh, rooms where the whole mechanic isn't like you're not in danger, but you have to say, OK, hit this one. This next bumper is going to appear for like two seconds. And you basically have to bounce one off in a very specific sequence that is very strict with timing. Um, that happens very rare. Like, that doesn't happen as often as it should, where most of the time you're kind of walking in a room, you're kind of like, okay, there are the four bumpers that I need to hit. And like, this is a very reductive way of looking at it, but you're kind of just hitting all the bumpers in the room and then moving on. Say your name is JV Gwaltney and you don't give a shit about pinball. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think you should have I to have this? like an inherent love of pinball. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more about like, do you like aim? Is it like, it's sort of like hotline Miami in a lot of ways of how it controls. Okay. If you think um, about it. Um, so if you're if you like the idea of like banking things off angles, yeah. I think that that's kind of like a so being geometry. Yeah. Okay. If you're into like and th- there are ways there are a lot of ways the game helps you like th- you get different bats and, and swords basically that do different things. There's one that gives you a stronger orbit that you can pull things from. There's one that gives you basically like a guiding laser line that lets you see like okay here's where the ball will go next if you bank it off once. Okay. There's one that'll like basically act as like okay if it hits this bumper it'll chain react to the other bumpers and sort of hit them a little bit. Um, so there's like a progression system. Yeah, where you're okay. fine. Like there are certain like options puzzles that if you do them you'll unlock a new weapon or you'll unlock the ability to like 
there's a whole sort of like resource and currency system where as the thing you are hitting these bumpers for is to gain energy and uh, you use that energy to open doors. How strong is the narrative? Uh, not super strong. It, 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 it has a really interesting premise where you're like, okay, this town has been beset by the sandstorm for years and you're trying to cure it. And there's like very, this very mysterious like creature who you, you only see its hands and its eyes. Oh, so you're not the creature in the no, world. No, no, no. You're, you're like, you're like, you're, you're a robot who's trying to basically free the town from the creature. Okay. Um, and they, they have an interesting premise. There's some text entries of like, oh yeah, I was just watching the neighborhood, neighborhood kids play with a baseball field down the road. And it's like, uh, it's really depressing that they can't really do that anymore because of the storm. Um, so they have, they lay these little bits and pieces that kind of like hint at what the town is like outside of your presence um and they drop some very interesting narrative beats but they don't do enough of that mm-hmm. and by the end of it i didn't feel like super connected to the story itself so like plot is not the reason to play this game okay it's it pretty interesting to like there's an action it's an action game completely i would classify yeah. as that but it's an action game where you don't you don't directly attack or get attacked to buy things. Yeah, like, which is kind of, like, it's a cool, like, premise for a, for an action game to have. It's yeah. just, like, you're not actually hurting anybody. You're just trying to be, like, you're just trying to light these You're trying paths. to adventure through right. it. It's, it's really fun to, like, play, like, intense action games that, like, find a way to circumnavigate, like, killing things or harming things. Yeah. Like, I think about uh, Thumper mm-hmm. yeah. a lot. Like, that, that is terrifying, yeah. but you don't, like, hurt anybody yeah. except your own heart right. when you're playing because yeah. so it's so intense so that's kind of at the core of my issues with the game is that like it should be like it wants to be intense but it very it only is like it feels very haphazard about when it is like challenging you mm-hmm. and that to me feels like a me- it's a mechanic that only feels good the way it should when it's being very challenging and a lot of the way you basically if you're ever stuck in a puzzle in this game you're going to build up so much energy because every time you hit a bumper you gain currency that you can use to open doors mm-hmm uh, and so eventually I had like the fact that I was completing the puzzles was basically a formality because I could have just skipped so many doors by just because I had so much. Energy. So you can break the game basically. Yeah. I, yeah. And then they, they I talked to the developer about it once. They said that like that they it's built by intention that okay. they wanted. So if you do get stuck, you can just go through. Yeah, and, like, you, you yeah. can skip certain puzzles that you're stuck on. But it's like they go a little bit overboard and like I got stuck on one puzzle and basically could just finish the game from there. Um, and the, the other thing they do is that like you're there's like a. To, to successfully kill like let's say a bumper you have to like deplete x energy right and so as you find optional puzzles you gain the ability to have each time you hit a bumper consume more energy so if there's a, a puzzle where you have to bank it off four walls you're or maybe twice you're eventually going to get upgraded to a point where it's like you can just do it once and it's like it makes the puzzle super easy and a lot huh. of the weapons do that as well where it's like though the upgrade system eventually ends up trivializing the puzzle aspect of it in a, in like a, some key ways yeah. which makes the game a lot easier which you don't want in this kind of game where you want the the gameplay to be intense and there are puzzles that i think are super strong and like later on they have a lot of moments where they synthesize all the elements properly but most of the time it doesn't like uh those elements don't come together as often as they should which i do want to point out that i do overall like the game i think it, it, it's fun enough to where if like if if what if the core concept i'm selling you like is like sounds interesting you should probably play this but it's not like it is not like this game that was like blowing me away. Um, and I would, I would love to see a sequel to it for sure. Yeah. That's so weird though. It's like, I get the designing a puzzle based game is hard, yeah. you know, cause it's a push and pull between like, well, how much do we want to give to the player if they get super stuck? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it feels like if you're just going to go to that extent, just do the Spider-Man thing, man of like, do you want to skip this puzzle? Mm-hmm. You can skip this puzzle. You know, but yeah. at the same time, maybe that defeats the whole game because right. I definitely did not do a single puzzle in Spider-Man like at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that it's a hard 
thing to do, but yeah. that doesn't sound like an optimal solution to just like give you the yeah. tools yeah. to break because the like, game. Because like, maybe one of those things of like they they wanted to, they had good intentions with it. it just the idea got away yeah. from them. And yeah. I, I think when this game is good, it, it is like a really strong like solid fun game that I like quite yeah. a bit. It's just like it feels like it is that game half the time, and the other game is just kind of like this very like like kind of a mediocre game but like so I, I ended up giving it a 7 which is a positive score and I like the game it's just mm-hmm. a matter of like you you can see where this game could be so much better and to be clear you gave it a 7 on fanbite on fanbite uh, yeah. yeah can I ask you something about yeah. outside of uh, Creature in the Wild uh, you can ask me whatever you want man alright uh, is it weird because I'll probably be doing this too is it weird right writing a review for another site now. Yeah, like, the actual <laughs> writing process of a review was very, like, introspective in the way that's like, okay, how much of my voice has been defined over the years by the Game Informer house style? Yeah. How much of it can I comfortably break out of and still, like, how much sh- How much of this, how much should I deviate from that house style? Like, yeah. is, it, is it appropriate for me to diverge? And how much of it is, like, my voice versus the house style that I need to break out of? Yeah, and what does the client want, right? Like, it's that sort of thing, right. too. Like, do they want the Game Informer style review, or do they want you to come out a little right. bit more into your own personal thing? Yeah. It's always... Uh, that's what that's what I'm concerned when I start, like, doing... Because I'm going to do yeah. a couple of reviews on the side while for I'm sure. looking for something new. And it's like, well, what do they want? Do mm-hmm. they want me... Do they want me being, like just kind of funny and experimental or trying yeah. things or do they just want the nope just bread and butter baby yeah, just and give that, me. it's definitely one of the things where I had multiple drafts of that review mm. and just like trying to figure out like I'm just going to restart this entire review with a different approach and see how that goes mm-hmm. uh, so it was definitely like pretty intense but it's like one of those things where I just have to you know on, on some level you're just working on deadline yeah. and it's one of those things where like as I start reviewing more games for different outlets it's just I'll find the commonalities in my voice and yeah. like start it's a thing it's a learning process that I'll have to you know mm. we can figure myself yeah it's, it's it seems like it's gonna be very strange to reacclimate yeah. also standard dis- disclaimer creature in the well is a pop agenda game which has a relationship with kind of funny yeah uh, all right so jv one last thing i wanted to hit it all control right. we've talked about it a lot in this game's oh, class, yeah. but i've never heard i have not heard, heard, heard it from you <laughs> yeah basically yeah. i've not heard your thoughts on it yeah. uh okay well Understand that my relationship with Remedy Games is I believe that they haven't made a game. They have made interesting worlds to explore. Yeah. Uh, you know, interesting stories, but they haven't made a fun game since Max Payne 2. Like yeah. a game that's actually like moment by moment. Like I'm really wrapped up in like the mechanics. I think Control fixes that mostly. Mm-hmm. To be fair, they haven't made like that many games since yeah. Max Payne. No, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Quantum Break. It's Awake and Quantum Break. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like there, I've seen a lot of effusive praise for Control. There's also a lot of bullshit in Control. Yeah. Like, the map system sucks. The map is bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, half the time on PS4 Pro, it doesn't load. Like, it'll, like, bring up the names of the places, but there's not actually a map. So mm-hmm. I'm just looking at them on, like, a blank screen. <laughs> yeah. it, it's I'm kind really- of a, it's in, in a weird way, a testament to the game's world design that you I've been relying more on the in-game, like, the in-world signs to yeah. guide me. Yeah, which are great, actually. Map. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, but the like, map itself, because it, it, it teaches you to, like, hey, your, your objective, like, we've been taught by games, like, your objective is the thing that you look at at the map. And the fact that that is bad, it's like, wait, well, am, I the, am I even on the same level as my I think, the, the problem is they wanted to have that flat map on the side that's like with you as you move around when in reality it should have been a Metroid Prime map. Yes. So like you look around and like you can like look at the structure. Yeah, you can like do a 3D sort of flip yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's what I think would be the ideal solution because so much of that map you know like actually shows the staircases and stuff but that doesn't matter when you're looking at it from a top view 2D plane. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's really hard. To t- it took me until halfway through the game to realize 
Oh, that's a stairwell. Yeah, and the difference between levels is like this one's gray, this one's darker gray, and this one's black. Yeah. Well, if, what level am I on? I don't know. Yeah, it took me a while to actually realize that because control doesn't explain anything to you, right? right? Like it feels very much like we're not going to hold your hand. You have to figure this stuff out, which means diving into its menus and like lore and stuff, which is great mm-hmm. on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like oh, the yellow point on the map is actually the approximate area of where my objective is. You know, it took me a that while to realize. That explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. Because um, I would always hit right directly there, and I'm like, okay, what am I looking for here? Like, what in the, what in this exact spot does the game want? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, it, you are in the area where you, sh- where you should be, not okay. like you have, you, are, you have pinpointed the location of the thing. Yeah, it's frustrating, because... At first, I thought it was pinpointing. It's like, oh, no, it's actually just in this area. Yeah, it's across the room. And the other yeah. thing is this is the most fucking bullshit con- like checkpoint system I've played in years. Yeah. Of like dark, like, there are so many games that like take lessons from Dark Souls that they should not take. And this is like a prime candidate of, you don't need this. This is bad. This is actively annoying. Whenever I die to like a ridiculous boss fight and I have to go past like staircases and stuff like at least like souls mm-hmm. like you're tr- you're sort of traversing this beautiful and twisted and grim dark landscape no matter which souls game or you know bloodborne game or Sekiro game you're playing like the environment is beautiful to behold the enemies are terrifying and control like the oldest house is a cool setting but the brutalist architecture, it's not a fun thing to look at over and over and over again. It's like, oh, I'm in another stairwell. Oh, well, I, I here's like another hallway. That's misunderstanding. Or the de- developers are misunderstanding the point of Dark Souls dying. Yeah. Because like it's supposed to be, you die, now you have to go through all this stuff again to get back there. And if you don't make it there in time, or not in time, but uh, with enough health or whatever, then you're not going to get your souls back. So you have something to lose. When you die in control, it's you don't lose anything except time, yeah. which is frustrating. Yeah, and, and inversely, it's like the idea that you're going down the same path over and over again. The, the fact that RP, that Dark Souls is an RPG is a big part of it, where it's like every time you're you're like ostensibly getting a little bit stronger and yeah. you're memorizing the path a little bit more. Or you're figuring out a way to get around the enemies without them being yeah. a deal. Like, all the enemies are still... If they're not dead, that's annoying. If they are dead, then it's pointless and boring. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been like I've I kind of knew about the checkpoint going in, so I, it's basically one of those things where it's like I only I don't uh, stop playing unless I've reached one of the control points, which is like the the surefire way of being able to save. Yeah, and if I haven't had like I'm playing on PC, which I think helps like, with like a lot of the combat where it makes it a lot faster. Like right. I can aim a lot more quickly, so it's like I'm probably not having as much difficulty with the combat as a lot of people, but it definitely feels like. Like the one time that I die to something that is like outside of my like if I ever die basically I, I I've been kind of like dreading it for a little bit like I haven't died too many times but it does feel like when that happens I'm kind of like I know I'm gonna be frustrated by my how much progress I lose. I was yeah. having problems very early on in the game like there was a one specific room where you leap down over this thing and like there's a number of enemies that come up and one of them is stronger than the other and you don't really have any other powers besides the gun. So I died there a couple of times because the game doesn't want you to stand in one place and shoot. They want you to move around but this is this is like the second combat encounter in the game so I didn't know. But every time I'd respawn Jesse would say the same lines of like, oh, the hiss is your enemy too. Like, okay, then it's mine. It's like, okay, I get it. You don't need to repeat. You have acknowledged that I've I've died and done this before because the the uh, like little collection items I've picked up are gone. Like I can't pick them up again. So the game understands. It's not resetting to an old state. 
but it's still redoing that same line of dialogue and it makes it feel more and more repetitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, though, you know, I started off kind of crapping on the game, but the combat is, like, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start getting more, like, I just got the dash. Uh-huh. And that's, that makes everything so much fun. Like, you yeah. feel like the, incre- like the incremental steps of power with every new, like, ability you get are huge. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's strides. Like, Jesse has gone from just being, like, oh, someone who has a cool gun to I can pick up a freaking like copier and beat an enemy to death with it. Uh, I can dash around. I don't want to get into like later abilities, but there are some really cool abilities. Whenever you enter a combat arena, you feel like you have so many ways to approach any individual like enemy, like, like Mm -hmm. not, like not even just the encounter of like, okay, I can hide it over this way. I can teleport this way. I can like try to brute force them by going up to a shield and then meleeing them and then using the, like the shotgun version of the gun. Mm. Uh, So all that stuff feels like it is like the best version of their combat that they've done where it feels like you have so many options and verbs at your disposal that you never feel like, you never feel like you're in another third person shooter where you're like I have to hide behind cover and like make sure you shoot like shooting is just one of so yeah. many things you can do in that game that that makes the combat super interesting yeah see like I feel like I hated Quantum Break because it felt like a poor man's infamous tacked on to like a, a generic third person yeah. shooter mm-hmm. and this is like oh no this is what Quantum Break should have been yeah mm-hmm. like all the powers here like you were just a tornado of death when you're at your best like it's just you tear everything to pieces it's great. One of the things I love about the incremental upgrades like of your powers is you can feel yourself getting more powerful because one of the things the game does is it takes these characters who are, are enemies that were threats at the beginning. So like the standard guys with guns, like they were a pain in the ass at the beginning. But as you start moving forward, they're basically just ads. Mm-hmm. They're like they're th- nuisances to be in your way. But yeah. they're not the main threat, so you can start you start building upon threats as you yeah. go on. And yeah. they also do it in a very like very strong uh, curated sense. In that you meet the snipers, and they're like, "Oh man, these guys are going to one shot me." And then you get the shield ability, so it's like, "Okay, these guys, I have solved this enemy with this ability." And they yeah. get you to think critically about like this ability counters this enemy, this ability counters this enemy, and like here's how I can like, and here's how like this arrangement of enemies is going to get me to mix up my approaches yeah. and how I think about those locks and key abilities in it, that way. Which Which is why I I actually think it's a very interesting Metroidvania that way because you were getting powers to solve enemies, not Mm -hmm. locations. Yeah, there's not a lot of like, there's not a whole ton of like puzzle solving of like, oh, here's an area that requires me to like, you know, turn into the morph ball or and, yeah. and right. So that isn't like where this game is a Metroidvania. It is like very. A lot of the edges of like the traditional Metroidvania have been sanded off here, where it's like, okay, I don't, I, I know that I cannot get past this area because this re- area requires a level five key card. I will come back to this area way later, and it's not like a, well, the lot, the, here's a, a pit of lava. Can I make that jump, or do I need an ability? Right. right. So yeah. it, it, it always makes it certain that you will never have to think about that that problem that a lot of those Metroidvania games have. It's like, can I actually do this, or do I need to come back? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite. It's it's interesting you guys and ever like a lot of people describe like the abilities themselves as kind of like Metroid esque. To me, like that gameplay feels more in line with like instinctual rhythm, like uh Batman yeah. almost. Like, you know, you're talking about the snipers, so like, oh, I'll throw up a shield when they're firing at me and then I'll just like levitate this item to smash the shotgunners to my left. Like everything you're reacting to things that are coming at you as fast as you can with like the right prompts. Yeah. And like getting to the place where you can move that way and think that quickly and just react. It yeah. just feel it reminds me a lot of Batman in a weird way, like the Arkham games. So I was gonna say, like, the feeling I got from this game, and it's a very it's hard for me to articulate what this feeling means, but I was getting 
tinges of when I played RE4 for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, it, not the same in polish or anything like that, but, like, the game so well understands what it is and is happy to be yeah. that. I was actually, I, I played a little bit of RE4 on the plane and I was actually talking to JV about this and, like, one of the things that I, that playing Resident Evil 4 again for the umpteenth time that I, I realized, like, I think one of the game, one of the reasons that I think that game is so great is that, like, every arena is, like, this multi, like, play space in a lot of ways in right. that you can mess with the enemies in a lot of different ways <laughs> and the enemies react in interesting ways and I don't think like I don't think controls enemies are on that level but there's a lot like you look at a very small battlefield and you instantly think like a number of different ways of how about how you can approach it so like in Resident Evil 4 you knew a thing where it's like okay here's this group of three enemies if I shoot one of them in the leg I know because of how this game has taught me its systems that I he will like stumble back into the other three guys and I'll have the opportunity to run up and knife all three of them like I'm thinking about my approaches in uh, control in a lot of the same ways. Not like oh, I can shoot this guy in the knees, but it's like if I do this, I know that this will happen and this will cause a chain reaction that I can use to like further my approach, right? Like right. To, to do things like that. And it is such a, it feels like such a rich play space that you can you can just manipulate the battlefield in ways that feel both creative and useful. Yeah, like the combat and the world building and control are so good and rich that it makes it easy to forgive like a lot of its failings because I think there are quite a few like Mm -hmm. there's one boss fight for example and i'm not going to say which one where like i learned the pattern and then i went to like go do the fight only to find out for the first 10 seconds of the fight the boss is inexplicably invincible during like the window when you should be attacking Mm -hmm. him and then i died and it's just stuff like that where like it the game pushes against you in a way that's unfair yeah you know it's just it's really frustrating yeah it it feels like it's like in all ways that Resident Evil 4 wasn't, it feels like it is. It is tied to like the arbitrary like limits of like, well, we have to curate the experience for the player by like having like we we want to make the cinematic in a way, and so we're gonna like introduce twists on the gameplay that don't abide by the rules that we have laid out for them. Yeah, I will say like one of the things I like about this game is that Remedy games have this very. I don't know how to put it, like, kind of alien feel with their dialogue, which is not always intentional. Yeah. It, it, like, I think a lot of people describe it as campy in a lot of ways, yeah. or, like, self-aware. I think uh, it fits much better in control. Yeah. Because yeah. everything should feel off. Yeah, like, it's... God, Lynchian is, like, just one of those terms that you don't really want to say when you're a writer, because it's so, you know, yeah. cliche, but... We've like, already used it this podcast. So. It really fits here. Yeah. Like, Obviously, because they just take so much inspiration from Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. uh, from a bunch of other places. From X-Files. X-Files, from X-Files yeah. yeah. Uh, from, like, House of Leaves. There's so much from House of Leaves in here. It's in, it's yeah. just wild. It, it, it This game, can, as somebody that has liked Max Payne, but necessarily, didn't necessarily love it, I liked Alan Wake, didn't necessarily love it, did not like Quantum Break, this kind of cements Remedy is like, oh, I can see why everyone thinks they have this amazing level of talent. Yeah. Because they absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's just a matter of like arranging that talent in the right way. I feel like, and Max Payne did it for me. Alan Wake did not do it for me because mm-hmm. I just was so bored playing that. Like yeah. the story was cool, but it's just it was a chore to get through that. This is like the first one in a long time where it's just there. The marriage is almost there, right? Yeah. Like it's almost. I don't want to say perfect because there's a lot of problems here, but it's. It's the most satisfying to both play and experience, you know, the other elements. Yeah, they're like one or two refinements away from an all-time classic. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's going to do it for this game cast. Yeah. Yay. Before we go, you guys, I want you to give, I'm giving you an open mic to say whatever you want to do about where people can find you, what you plan to do next, if you even know, and, and it's fine if you don't, or just 
who you want to shout out, what you want to say about Game Informer, any of it? Uh, I don't know that I have like a lot of places. Or I mean, you can find me on Twitter.com uh, slash Surreal Vasquez, S-U-R-I-E-L-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. For now, I'm taking it kind of easy. I'm uh, sticking to freelance for a little while, trying to figure out what my next move is. But if you want to follow me on there and look at my posts, I guess you can. Uh, <laughs> but It's funny. The, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll see where I go next. I'm not entirely sure what I want to do, whether I want to stay in the industry, whether I want to be on press or dev side. But... Uh, I'm open to offers, I guess. If people, if people want <laughs> to hire him, he's funny and good. Um, but yeah, I as far as like, I do want to say that like, um, the Game Informer team is like th- those people are now friends for life in a lot of ways. I think that 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 outlet was a family in a lot of ways, and I'm going to miss working with all of them. Um, they were all everyone here and everyone you know back in Minneapolis and abroad were like an exceptionally talented group, and you should you should do everything in your power to hire everyone who was laid off um, because like. Game Informer was a uniquely talented pool of people that um, did not deserve what happened to them. So, <laughs> yeah. To be clear, outside of that, besides the three of us, there is Elise Favas, there is Jeff Marquia Fava, there is Matthew Burtz, uh, who else? Kyle Hilliard. Kyle Hilliard. Kyle Hilliard. And is that, yeah, it's. That's all seven, right? Yeah. By the way, Kyle Hilliard is streaming uh, at twitch.tv slash Kyle Impersonator every morning at yeah. 11 a.m. Central Time, which for you guys on Pacific Time is 9 a.m. Yeah. So uh, watch his stream. He's playing yes. through Metal Gear Solid uh, for the Game Boy, which is Metal Gear Solid Ghost Babel. Yes. And, and yeah. he's he's very entertaining. That game seems kind of weird, but uh, I've been game. watching that stream, and it's been very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I'm still looking for work. In the industry, yeah. you'll probably see my writing pop up at like freelance sites. But uh, on Twitter, I had to—I was away from Twitter for a long time, so I made a new one once these things happened because yeah. Twitter is basically yeah. like the gaming industry. LinkedIn, yeah, you it's actually to make a useful. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, that's a mistake. But let me look at this like an old man. My my username is at iv underscore javy. So I'm there. Uh, I'm looking for full time opportunities, both dev dev side and journalism side. So if you have anything. Hey, it's me. Hire me. When I was still freelancing and before I came to Game Informer, I remember having a discussion with a friend about JV specifically of if I continue freelancing, there's no way I'd ever be as good as JV because this man hustled more than anyone mm-hmm. else could possibly someone who do. was freelancing at the same time as he was, it was like one of those things where, man, he had JV has more hustle than on I could every ever site have. every day. Yeah. We couldn't, like, none of us could match up. And I remember applying for the job and I remember... Uh, before I applied for the job, I wasn't sure of myself. I didn't think I could do it. I DM'd JV because we were Twitter mutuals, but we never actually really had a conversation much. Yeah, we didn't talk that much. Yeah. So I, I was like, JV, hey, do you think I could do this job? And you're like, yeah, you'd be great. And I was right because <laughs> I'm always right. You were amazing at your job. Thank you so much. But I, I want to echo what these guys said. Game Informer was a family. They're lifelong friends. All the people who were let go and the people who are still there, it they affected our lives in ways that we're not going to be able to say because we, there's just no words for it. Even for writers, there's just no yeah. words. Even for beyond it. the fact that we signed a thing that says that limits what we can talk about <laughs> legally. Yeah. But I wanted, I hope that everyone lands on their feet and that everyone at Game Reformer knows how much they meant to us, that all of our fans from Game Reformer know how much it meant. I want all of the kind of funny best friends and all of you guys to know that all your enthusiasm and support has meant to all of us that that 
all that stuff blunts the edge yeah. so much. On like, a day yeah. that I felt like I was completely replaceable and like not necessarily important, seeing the outpouring of love from people who's like someone from uh, that I used to go to high school with <laughs> reached out to me and said like, "Hey, I've been a fan of you for a while, and also I went to high school with you." <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like you know, was you, he a fan you, of you in high school? We didn't really actually. I, we hung out a little bit, but not not a whole lot. You get to look at the pictures back then. It's like yeah, background. background. Like, yeah. Uh, so like see, seeing everyone like just reach out and like all the DMs I've been getting like it, that that has meant the world to me in in a way that people will never know. So I I really appreciate all the love. So yeah. yeah. No, same. I'm I speak for everyone at Game Informer. If you've sent you know messages of support or whatever, trust us. Like everyone who's not with the magazine anymore and everyone who's still with the magazine have deeply appreciated it. It has made this time a lot easier than it would be otherwise i feel like yeah yeah so thank you guys again if you're a patreon subscriber we're going to the post show in a minute but just wanted to say again thank you to kind of funny thank you to greg miller for making this happen yeah no thank you both yeah. or thank you thank you everyone <laughs> yeah, no, yeah both all right we'll see you guys later all right